He was plotting attacks against Americans, but now we've ensured that his atrocities have been stopped for good. They are stopped for good. Uh, I don't know if you know what was happening, but he was planning a very major attack, and we got him. 747, that is President Donald Trump announcing that, in fact, an American drone strike did kill General Qasem Soleimani of uh, Iraq. His uh, funeral, by the way, Soleimani's funeral, underway right now. And uh, not too surprising to hear that it has, uh, for all intents and purposes, turned into uh, an anti-American protest demonstration. And there will be implications here. Um, You know, the president saying, well, we stopped him. Stopped him dead in his tracks. Yes, figuratively, literally, you did. But whether or not that's going to stop what he was about, and that was planning attacks against various um, Western and American citizens, in, certainly right now in the Middle East, uh, hard to say. Phil Gursky is with us. He has spent uh, 30 years doing uh, intelligence analysis here in Canada with CSIS, etc. Uh, good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning, Dave. I'm well. Happy New Year. And to you. I'm, I'm quite sure it would have been better if we'd have had a different headline to kick off uh, 2020, though. Um, this Did we see this coming? Well, I, I don't really think so. You know, the, the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is you know, this Iranian body that's been around since the early 1980s, has been on the American list for a long time. They are a listed terrorist entity in, here, in Canada as well. There's no question that American and Iranian relations have not been good for the better part of 40 years. I was a little surprised about uh, when it happened, where it happened, how it happened, and why it happened. Uh, was it inevitable at some point? Maybe, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know, Dave. I, I'm, I'm not getting a, a warm fuzzy about this for, for a whole bunch of reasons. I'm not sure it was the right move. Now, l- let's let's assume for a minute that the president took good advice on this. It wasn't, you know, we uh, he would have had people around him saying that this was the thing to do. Yeah, I've already seen some reflection on this in social media. Uh, a reporter whom I trust a great deal has said that, that she has sources in which intelligence, U.S. intelligence, did give some vague warnings that something was afoot. But I want to just point out, Dave, here's a U.S. president who basically insulted and dismissed his intelligence agencies time and time again, and now he's, he's praising them for their work. So I got a lot of friends, Dave, that worked in, in, in U.S. intelligence, CIA, NSA, FBI, who you know have a hard time going to work in the morning when their own president makes fun of them on a regular basis. So a little bit of inconsistency here on Mr. Trump's part in terms of saying, yay, way to go, intelligence. You know, is that I use it when I want it and, and, and don't use it when I don't want it? I don't know. Was there a specific attack plan? I have no idea. You have no idea. We're never going to learn that, really. But I think that's that's kind of beside the issue at this point. And, yeah, I, I don't think that's the determining factor from my perspective. So sort through the, 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 the worms in this can for me because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention as closely as I can, but more the more you drill down on this, the more complicated it gets, uh, trying to untangle things. To understand this, his funeral is being held in Baghdad. Now, I understand yeah. that, you know, uh, an Iraqi deputy was also killed in that attack. But, you know, it wasn't so long ago that we, we were talking about the Iraq-Iran war. They were at each other's throats. They were, they were you know, prime enemies. They wanted to wipe each other off the face of the earth. Um, is this American intervention, I mean, is the history of it actually turned Iraq and Iran back to allies against the Americans? <laughs> 
you know, you're raising some great questions, and it really is a can of worms. It'll probably take us about three and a half days to work through. <laughs> but let's just let's just do some basics here. First and foremost, both Iran and Iraq are, are Shia dominant countries. So, so the majority of Muslims in both countries are Shia versus Sunnis. Secondly, this can of worms all came about not because of the Iran-Iraq war, but because of the American decision to invade Iraq in 2003. You and I remember those days. Mm-hmm. This is after 9/11. President Bush declared his infamous axis of evil. You know, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, none of whom had anything to do with 9-11. So I've been arguing for a better part of 15 years, Dave, that, you know, the Americans are missing the ball because it's a Sunni Islamist extremist they should be worried about. In fact, I have a podcast on our website I just published on this very issue. It's jihadis. It's it's al-Qaeda. It's ISIS we need to be worried about, not Iran. I mean, I'm I'm not saying Iran is a lily white partner and and a good neighbor. But they are by far from the greatest threat in the region. So I think, in fact, the American invasion of Iraq in 2003 is, is where, where we got here. And let's face it, no country wants to be invaded and no country wants to be occupied. So if the majority of your citizens are fellow Shias like their friends across the border in Iran, are we surprised there's an alliance building right there? Not me. Yeah, and I guess that's the that's the hard thing to to sort through in terms of how do you now get to a point that even looks like you're on a path to resolving it. And I know I went on we're talking about the Middle East, but at the same time there needs to be some kind of stability there. Yeah, well, if you know, Dave, if you can come up with stability in Middle East 2020, you win the Nobel Prize in <laughs> advance, my friend. Um, I've already been reading reports online that the Iraqi Prime Minister is is going to seriously think about having the Americans leave once and for all. Iraq. So there's like 5,000 troops or so many troops, American troops in the area. Of course, Canada, you know, has been there on training missions, a lot of NATO partners as well. Having the Americans leave is, is both a, a good thing and a bad thing. It's a damn if you do, damn if you don't situation. Because the, as I said, the fact that you're there, you're an occupying force, you're a target. If you withdraw troops, does that make things more stable? Of course not, because there are other actors in the area. Russia's in the area, and Iran's in the area. So it's not that you bring stability to the area by, by you know, withdrawing your troops, but the problem is you're creating instability by being there in the first place. So what, what's a worse instability? You being there or you not being there? And I don't have an answer to that question. So let's, let's expand the lens here just a little bit, because it's not just happening Iraq, Iran. We, you know, we, two, three months ago, we were talking about the same thing in Syria and the Russians yeah. moving in there and Turkey yeah. getting involved. We're, yeah. I don't, you know, you will have a better view on this, but how dangerous, how much more dangerous is it today than it was back on Labor Day? Wow. <laughs> You're asking a tough question early on a Saturday morning. Um, I would say that it, it will always be a dangerous area. It'll always be an unstable area. And as you you know, we joke about the Middle East, right? It's never been stable since Christ was a carpenter. Let's face it. It's been that way for a very, very long time. It's, I guess it's a matter of what level of instability and danger are you willing to put up with. And there'll always be a sort of a background of, of problems in the area and I think, you know, from a Western perspective, what you want to do is ensure that whatever policies you put in place, whatever measures you, you undertake, don't make the situation worse. I would argue that 2003 made it worse. Does the withdrawal make it even, even further worse? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, but I, I just don't see how we're at this point in the, in the aftermath of this assassination, which is probably illegal under international law. I don't see how anything we do makes it solves it. But I'm also thinking that anything we do, I, I don't know, Dave, I, I'm struggling to, mm-hmm. to figure out this thing out. It, this is a real tough nut, and it's not, it, it wasn't made any better by Suleiman's assassination. 
it won't get any better anytime soon. How much worse it'll get, that's that's a that's a Nostradamus prediction I'm not willing to make at this point. When we talk about retaliation, and, you know, they're, they're, I heard the, the mayor of New York yesterday talking, saying, you know, uh, New York is the, the number one likely target for terrorism in the United States, just given the size of the city and what it means to the United States. Uh, so, you know, they are bracing for that possibility. All we heard about Soleimani's activity was that it was, for, for the most part, focused in the Middle East right now. Um, should, you know, we be more concerned here in North America with the uh, fallout here? Well, you, you raise a good point, and that's exactly true. Um, the IRGC was very active in Iraq. It was it's very active in Syria. It's very active in Lebanon. Historically, it was it's not been active in North America, despite the fact that we and the Americans and many other Western partners have listed the IRGC as a terrorist entity. They do not tend to get involved in attack planning in the West. And so we, we should have taken that into account before we decided to do this. So the fact that you've taken out the head honcho, does it raise the stakes? Absolutely. Um, you know, Mayor de Blasio talking about New York being a target. Well, we've seen, you know, anti-Hasidic attacks in, in New York. We've seen all kinds of other attacks in that city. So you're right. New York's on the radar because of the size, because of the iconic nature of New York anyway. Is it higher on the, on the list because of Soleimani's uh, assassination? Eh, I'm not so sure, sure about that. But, you know, if you're working U.S. national security, you're really worried right now because you know that the, that the other shoe's going to drop, right? You're just not, sh- you're not sure where it's going to drop. Is it, will it be on a U.S. embassy abroad? Will it be against U.S. tourists? Will it be against something else, U.S. forces in another country? That, is, that day is coming, and the problem is you're, you have to monitor and try to protect a gazillion things simultaneously. And even the Americans, God love them, with all the resources, can't do that. This is, so this is, the, this is the problem they're, they're faced with right now, I think. Well, let's start where we left off. Happy New Year, Phil. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's hope that next time we have this conversation, it won't be as dire. Very good. Phil Gursky with us this morning, a veteran of the Canadian intelligence community. And, uh, yeah, again, important perspective there in terms of uh, what he sees, but also uh, good perspective on how the uh, U.S. intelligence services must be feeling as all this is playing out.